Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors here at Bike Radar, and with me today is our senior road technical editor. It's uh, Warren Roster. How are you getting on, Warren? I'm very good. Thank you, mate. Excellent stuff. Uh, what have you been up to in recent weeks? It's been a couple of weeks since we've had you on the pod. So. Um, I've been spending um, too much time riding uh, SRAM Zip RockShox's new Explore mm-hmm. equipment because my bike finally arrived after being held up in customs for all too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah. You know, I, the thing that I was really looking forward to was obviously the gearing and you know the way they've, they've approached that to to make one by such a really good viable option. But the thing that's most surprised me is probably the fork because mm-hmm. it's not just a you know a scab down mountain fork, bike fork for big hits. It actually the way it improves comfort and control when you're riding really heavy hard surfaces is just phenomenal. You know, right. it, it justifies its, its being. For that reason alone, yeah, you know, it's um, it's a clever bit of kit. Um, uh-huh. Do you th- do you think it changes the whole scene of uh, of gravel? Do you think it's no, no? I, I fundamentally don't think it does. I think it just makes it easier to r- ride faster for longer. Mm. You know, which is what everybody wants to do. You yeah, know? it's kind of you know there are a couple of bits, and you know we've talked about it before but places where I ride regularly up on the plane where there are some real trails there that are really hard because they were designed to take the constant movement of heavy artillery, mm-hmm. you know, so it's basically tracks built of rocks, mm-hmm. you know, it's like riding Belgian cobbles. If Belgian cobbles were really sharp and made of flint. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, those things just wear you out. They just grind you down, especially if you're riding a, you know, a fairly rigid gravel bike, just giving you that bit of comfort on the front. Mm. And especially when you're pairing it with the, the dropper post, which if you drop it a few mil, it, it almost becomes like a suspension seat post, just a layer of comfort. It just delivers you. It just means that, you're fresher when you get to the end of those long drags, you know. Yeah. Um, and that makes a difference. And also when you're messing about in, you know, in the woods and, you know, jumping over roots and um, doing things you probably shouldn't do on a gravel bike, mm-hmm. the fork performs. You know, it, yeah. it almost feels bottomless, which is a weird thing to say about a fork that's only got 40 mil of travel. Mm. But I've, I haven't managed to make it clonk or, or top out or anything, yeah. you know. And I'm quite the ham-fisted <laughs> rider when it comes to jumping off stuff. Do, do you think that, you know, now we've seen... Um, it feels like in, in, in gearing, you know, one buying gravel is is quite a thing, really. And that was spurned by, you know, uh, SRAM bringing out their one by group sets, which performed so well with wide ranging cassettes. And now not every gravel bike is one by, but a lot of gravel bikes are one by. Yeah. Do you think we're going to see a similar shift with gravel bikes becoming more and more suspended now that the biggest player in suspension has bought out their gravel suspension fork? I mean, suspension has been around a long time in gravel, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you know I, I've got I've got the Cannondale Slate, which which when you think about it now is what five six years old. It's mm. it was groundbreaking. Yeah, it was absolutely game changing design, and 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 Cannondale have improved on that. The new the new lefty, mm. you know, the the Ocho Oliver kind of hybrid is awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good fork, but even though. It's now not been designed around Canada's specific oversized head chip, so you could effectively fit that fork to anything. Mm-hmm. They're not that easy to buy. Yeah. Now rock shocks are everywhere. Yeah. So you know, um, I, I I don't think we should be talking about about the Rudy as this huge great big game changer because it's just they're the last to the party. They're, they're the last. Ones to yeah, do they're, it. they're sort of the last ones to the party, but they've come out with such a refined product. So it has to you know you have to give it some respect. Sure. Um, so I, I just think. 
you know, fundamentally now gravel isn't a fad. No. It's a genre. Yeah. But there's still a deep misunderstanding of what gravel is because it came out as just this kind of one different bike. Is it a cross bike? Is it a road bike? What is it? You know, um, and now everybody's just like, oh, it's just a mountain bike with drop bars. It fundamentally isn't. But not all gravel bikes are equal. Mm. You know, if you look at, say, something from one of the originators of the old kind of gravel genre, take Genesis, you know, take something like the the Vagabond or, um, you know, one of their big burly steel gravel bikes, effectively gravel bikes, adventure bike, whatever you want to call it, and put that up as, say, against Cervelo's Aspero, mm. which is a stripped-down, race-ready bike. And we're seeing a lot of those come in now. You know, yeah. Cannondale was Super 6 Evo CX, where there's a gravel and the cross version thereof. Mm. We're hearing from a lot of the big players in the market that that's kind of where they're going next with a lot of their products, but they're not leaving behind the gravel bike with all the fixtures and fittings. So now it's a whole genre with sub-genres within it. You know, it's kind of, you know, somebody asking you whether they want to buy a gravel bike, what should I get? Is like somebody asking you, I want to buy a road bike, but I can't decide between a Trek Madone or a Doors Galaxy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not the same customer yeah, yeah, yeah. across the whole yeah. gravel thing. So, you know, I think... It's, an ex- it's a really exciting space right now, gravel. You mm. know? And and if you want that one bike to do everything, you know, go fast on the road, go fast off-road, it exists. Mm. If you want that bike to go traverse the world and get off the road at the same time, that exists as well. Mm. And then there's every kind of permutation in between, you mm. know. It's kind of, you can make it what you want. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think there's, you know, I think it's just a really, it's a really interesting place right now. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, the whole sort of gravel thing goes back to my, earlier stages as a mountain biker when mm. mountain biking wasn't about trail sensors or bike parks or anything it was about riding off with an os map in your back pocket and exploring that's what gravel is now yeah, yeah, yeah. gravel is just the origins of mountain biking mm-hmm. and and that's kind of cool you know and that's why you get people saying it's just a shit mountain bike with drop yeah bars. but mountain bikes then we shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all look at them with rose tinted spectacles. They weren't good, no. you know. The gravel bikes of today. I'd rather be riding, you know, say my my GT grade or this Canyon um, Grizzle I've got with all the Rockshock stuff on, than I would be riding my old 1991 GT Pantera with U brakes. Yeah, I, I absolutely fundamentally prefer what it what it is now to what it was then. Yeah. So you know. For all those people moaning about how gravel bikes are just shit mountain bikes, you can't really buy shit mountain bikes anymore. So you might as well just buy a gravel bike and be a bit more efficient on the flat. Um, there is a, a we've discussed it briefly over email, but I think um, I'm going to try and do a, a feature on uh, are gravel bikes just shit mountain bikes or actually are they significantly different? And I, you know, I think we we share similar views on that. But I know there's there's people in the office who would take a, a counter argument, perhaps. So. Um, Maybe later this autumn, winter, there'll be a podcast on uh, just on that topic. We can have a have it out with uh, yeah, get my a, colleagues. Get a whole bunch of us in a room together and let's fight. Let's fight it out. <laughs> yeah, fight to the death. <laughs> um, so, if we assume that this, you know, Rock Truck Studio is uh, a potential upgrade to your gravel bike, uh, sort of segues nicely onto our sort of topic for today's podcast is uh, relates to a feature that you've just written for uh, Cycling Plus. Issue 384. Um, I don't know when it's going to be in the shops, but um, worth looking out for. But uh, you've sort of given us a quick rundown of what you think are the 10 most important upgrades, um, 10 down to one that you can make for your road bike. Um, And handily within that, there's a few recommendations of products as well that you really rate. Um, So we thought we'd we'd rattle through those really just to, yeah, if, if you've got a road bike, 
got a bit of cash in your pocket, where should you be spending it? Um, and yeah, there's some interesting little things in there. There's some uh, items which we'll discuss, which may become a little bit lower down your list than you might have thought. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think this is like just based on doing this for probably too long, you know, more than a couple of decades <laughs> of just uh, and t- and testing so many bikes over that period, um, and then pretty much every bike you test, apart from a few exceptions of kind of stratospherically priced superbikes mm. where you expect everything to be right. And McLaren Venge. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it has to be everything it claims to be um, because you're paying through the notes for it. And because you're paying through the notes for it, if it isn't quite what you want, no shop is going to say, oh, I'm not changing that, mm. you know, if you're dropping five figures. Um, but for most of us who are working on normal budgets and everything, whenever you buy a bike, there is some element of compromise within it. Now, it's all about what compromise do you choose. Mm-hmm. Now... For me personally, I would always go for the best frame set I can find. Right. Because that's the heart and soul of the bike. Everything else on that bike is pretty much going to wear out. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't be swayed if you're looking at a bike. And, you know, and this was an old trick from loads of the brands was you have a, a pretty decent looking bike and then you will look at the group set and go, oh, look at that. They've put a Ultegra Mech on that bike yeah. and everything else is 105. Or any a mountain bike because mountain bike did it for years and all years the and years. time, all the time. You know they put a, they put a bit of XT or XTR on this, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's the only thing they wear out. Yeah. Those bits are effectively sacrificial, mm-hmm. so don't get swayed by jewelry. Mm-hmm. Just look at the heart of the bike, and then you know if most of us are brutally honest to ourselves, if you if you're riding Shimano 105 or Altegra or Jurace. Or if you're lucky enough to be riding electronic, Ultegra, Durace Di2, or SRAM Force, SRAM Red Axis, or even Rival, they all fundamentally work as well as each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at the moment, you know, if you're if at the minute if you look at like Force Axis and Red Axis, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. I've got bikes with both, mm-hmm. and it's it's about a few grams. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and if you look at right, you know, Shimano just released the new Durace twelve speed Di two. I mean, I've just got a bike that's arrived with that on, so I can't wait to start riding that, see what it's like. But I'm more excited by Ultegra because it's more accessible to more people, and therefore it's going to be relevant. it's going to be on bikes around four thousand quid, not bikes around eight or nine thousand quid. Yeah, so it's going to be more accessible to more people. Yeah, and when you actually drill down and look at the differences, mm-hmm. they're minimal. Put some pogies on your handlebars, you wouldn't know what was going on yeah. underneath. Yeah, and. Same functionality, the same motors, the same battery. You know, the you know the the mechs and everything have the, have been made and they're designed around the same thing. They're, they're fundamentally the only difference is Duras gets some quite little bit nicer materials, so it's a little bit lighter. But yeah. when you're looking at the difference in weight, the actual difference in weight is less than a half-filled water bowl. Yet you're going to be paying thousands more, mm. and I just don't see the pros are going to want the very best. They're going to want the very lightest. They're going yeah. to want all those things. For the rest of us, why? You know, why why spend thousands of pounds more to save basically the weight of something that something that weighs you know more or less basically than the snack you'll have when you ride? You know, yeah. it just doesn't make any sort of it, it doesn't make any commercial sense to me or fiscal sense to me, but it doesn't really make any performance sense either. Mm-hmm. You know. So um I, I just think, you know, when you're actually looking to make those changes on your bike. I truly believe, and this is you know sort of experience has borne this out, that the smallest differences can make the 
biggest change. Sure. Know? And it's not it's not just about throwing money at a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it's sometimes in some ways I think that can be occasionally kind of counterproductive. Yeah. You know, mainly because your expectations will be elevated, and then you'll get it and go, oh, I don't know if this, you know. Whereas just making those simple, simple things, but mm-hmm. I probably rambled on already too much no. about. I think there's lower, lower, lower down the list, or sort of towards the the more important upgrades. You know, there's things in there that are costing under a tenner. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, I, I think in the media we often get sort of tarred with the, you know, like because obviously we get to ride some beautiful stuff, and you know, like a, a well performing wheel set or fork or or whatever it is that's cost a lot of money. You know, they're great things to 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 ride and to enjoy and we talk about those things a lot but actually there are so many really good things that you can pick for your bike that don't cost very much but still perform to that sort of top level um, and provide a lot of things so hopefully within this list there's there's plenty of items there which you know can be done you know on a weekly you know like without having to save up loads and loads of cash um so let's crack on anyway so um number 10 in the list I wouldn't say it's not the the, the the last thing you upgrade but it's not the most important thing um but it's your your bar and stem yeah, I mean, I think the, the, that's the thing is like with any bike you buy off the shelf, I was talking about, you know, there are elements of compromise on every bike. And one of those compromises is that bikes come in set sizes. Mm-hmm. And so every component on it, all that kind of last featured fitting stuff is all designed around a kind of an average. Now, not everybody is built the same. Not mm-hmm. everybody is the same shape, you know. And and there are elements of either fashion or, or some people are looking for a kind of performance benefit when you come into things like bar width. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not just bar width, it's bar shape, you know. If you're super flexible, you can probably get on with like a traditional classic drop, you know, mm-hmm. a deep drop bar, because then you can get much lower, you can get more, more aero. But most people aren't that flexible, mm-hmm. you know. Um, even if they want to be. Even if they want to be, they're not. So a, a semi-compact or a compact drop is probably the best pl- best way to go because you can spend more time in the drops without getting a crippling backache. Yeah, you know. Um, but the but the but the main you know the main reason I'm sort of t- talking about bars and stems is because they've gone for the average size. The stem could be too short for you, mm-hmm. or it could be too long for you. You know, depending on flexibility, just depending on your your body shape. You know, um, and bar width is a really kind of critical one because depending on what size, you know, it's like. You know, if it's a small bike, if it's like a 54 centimetre, they'll probably put a 36 or a 38 bar in it. Mm-hmm. But who's to say you're not, you know, a five foot six weightlifter, yeah. you know, with massive shoulders. So you're trying to hold these bars and, you you know, you're, you then you're riding completely elbows out and you look weird. Mm-hmm. Or conversely, you know, you know, I ride like a 58. Most 58 bikes come with a 42 centimetre wide bar. Now, I'm really broad shouldered, you know, mm. ex, ex rugby player. So, you know, I'm built broad. And if you do that kind of mean average of... of of working out what width bar is, you know, the kind of rule of thumb, which is measuring from the the kind of bumps on your on the top of your shoulders. Okay, yeah. You you can feel like two definite yeah. definite bumps. If you just literally take measure between that, that kind of gives you a an, you know a width that you should be aiming at. Now, if I measure those up, I'm looking at 46, 47 centimeter. Mm-hmm. One, a lot of those bars don't really exist, and also a forty six bars really feels really really yeah. wide for me. So I ride a forty four on some bikes like a forty two. Because I've become, you know, kind of adapted to it. So it's like if you get that new bike and you're not, you don't feel happy. Mm-hmm. Like you feel either stretched, you know, you feel like you're riding like a sail because your arms are too wide, or consequently the steering feels all over the place because you, you know, your elbows are almost touching because the bike's too narrow. Mm-hmm. It's these things that are really easy changes to make, and. And then, you know, when you're looking at materials of, of bars, you know, every, you know, the kind of most people sort of go, well, get a carbon bar because it's better at vibration damping than an aluminium, which kind of can be true. But a good aluminium bar mm-hmm. 
is always better than a bad carbon. Yeah. You know, um, and there are, you know, there are things if you're looking to get like a bit of, add a little bit of air to your bike, then making the change on the bar and the stem can do that. Um, putting, bringing comfort to the party, you know, mm-hmm. you can do that, choosing the right bar. And again, it's not something where you need to be spending huge amounts, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, one of my recommendations, I think at the kind of the top end is, is, um, you know, Zips, um, SL70 Aero Bar. It's yeah. just a, Really lovely shape. It's it has got some proper aero going on. Um, but the, the other benefit of having that big broad aero top is it's actually quite a nice place to hold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when you're climbing, you've got this really nice position. Mm-hmm. And consequently, if you're banging, you know, if you're banging a lot of high tempo on the flat, you can almost like lean on, the, lean on lean on the bars with your elbows, like TT style. Yeah. And then, as long as you're not racing UCI races. As long as you're not racing UCI races, yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, that um, so that Zip SL70. Uh, and the sprint stem, they come in at uh, 296 for the bar, 258 for a stem, which is slightly yeah. eye watering. Oh, and then, but um, so long as you can, you can mount your, your garm into it though, um, for 62 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that quick mount <laughs> that goes on the front is like, you know, it, it's beautifully integrated. Yeah. It, you know, it's a really nice solution, but it, yeah, it doesn't cheat. And on, and on the flip yeah. side, though, there is, there are sort of cheaper options. Though. Yeah, I mean, that stem is their, their top end, you know, carbon beautiful thing but mm. the standard you know the standard SL stem which again you can get a quick mount for is a, a brilliant thing as well mm. and that's like a third of the price you know right I, you know this was just kind of my kind of premium kind of the Gucci options sort yeah, of thing totally, yeah. you know and then down at the other end um, you know like Richie I just think they're about brand that really deserve a lot of recognition mm. in, in that kind of finishing kit stuff because they just have some really good cool ideas you know um, so when you're looking at things like their their bar and stem um, the, it's the WCS chicane stem. Mm-hmm. It's just a really kind of neat thing. It's got like a hinged faceplate. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's got this really nice kind of hinged faceplate that hides the bolts, creates a little bit of kind of, you know, it's more aero than a load of forward-facing bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're matching that with the Stream 3 bar. The Stream 3 bar's beautiful shape. It's got a really, you know, the Richie, you know, the Richie kind of ergonomic drop is a really, really lovely place to hold. Mm-hmm. Again, it's got this kind of, suede and shaped top that's got really nice handholds on it and it does a really good job at vibration damping nice. and and the richie you know richie do you know it's the wcs like carbon stuff at the super high end which is really super expensive mm. but wcs kind of line comes right down to much more affordable levels mm-hmm. so i think this bar's like under 100 quid yeah and you know the stems about the same about 90-ish, you know. yeah. so but as a brand i think you know richie are a really good one to look at when mm-hmm. you when you're talking um they do you know kind of quality finishing kit yeah that uh, and they do a myriad of options you know yeah. I, I i couldn't count how many actual bar shapes <laughs> they offer you know some will probably say too many it gets a little bit confusing but if you're looking for something specific then mm-hmm. richie will probably have it they'll have something for yeah. you yeah all right well let's um let's shift to number nine and this one probably is the one that's going to confuse a few people um and you're saying maybe it isn't that worth upgrading your wheels well wheels is one of those things that yes it will make a big difference you know, if you've bought a, you know, if you bought a fifteen hundred quid alloy road bike and it's come with um, unbranded, you know, heavyweight alloy rims mm. on, you know, some sort of cheap cartridge hub, then changing those to something much much lighter will make a difference. But I just think, for the most part, the, the sort of outlay you're looking at, the gains just aren't as big as 
lots of the things that we'll talk about later, which make a much bigger difference for a much bigger, you know, for much lesser outlay. Mm-hmm. You know, wheels to me are like um, one of the, they're like a treat. They're like a treat upgrade. Yeah. And if you buy well, yeah, you'll be you'll be blown away. And also, there's no denying that a really nice set of carbon rims <clears throat> on a road bike changes it forever. You just go, wow, that looks amazing. Yeah. You know, one of the worst one of the worst sins I think of a lot of bike brands is. Um, especially in things like aero bikes mm-hmm. is they'll sell you the the entry-level aero bike and go yeah this bike's really really aero but it comes with training wheels which just means cheap wheels yeah you know and they look terrible there's yeah. nothing when worse than yeah, a deep we, section rim with a, a frame with like really yeah, yeah. shallow yeah when you've got these you know big oh. you know yeah, these big aero profiles everywhere yeah. and it just seems to be rolling on what it's like oh, it's got pram wheels it's really yeah. odd you know so you get big jacked up uh, four by fours and then they've got silly little yeah. tiny little uh, <laughs> it's terrible yeah and so what, what what brands would you be sort of looking at then you know if you did want to upgrade your wheels who, who's pumping out some really good stuff both oh, yeah. at the high end and the mid price uh, you know i think when you're looking at if you're looking high end you know you you can't ignore mv zip dt swiss mm-hmm um, Camp Hag, Fulcrum, you know, they're doing some wonderful, wonderful things. Mm. Um, but I think the other thing is with a, with a, when you're choosing a wheel upgrade is you've really got to think really, really hard and long about what riding you do. If you spend most of your time riding in the hills, don't get a 68 mil deep aero wheel. Sure. Because, yeah, it will be really fast getting to the bottom of that climb and it'll be quite fast coming back down. But you'll be laboring up mm. it. Um, you know, you and you you know you need to think like what's more important you know is it more important to, to drop weight off a bike or is it more important to get that bit of error advantage there are wheels that do a, you know a really nice job of balancing between the two and and then it also comes down to budget you know it re- it really really does so you know my sort of you know top picks for um probably that all rounder where you're getting a bit of error benefit but you're also getting a, you know you're getting a light set of wheels you know as well would probably be something like you know zips new 303 firecrest mm-hmm. is just frankly it's an awesome wheel right yeah it, it's just does everything it should do and the best thing is it's massively cheaper than the old 303 firecrest mm. okay they're what 1600 quid for the for the pair which is not cheap but in in the in the sort of the realm of you know premium road wheels that doesn't actually feel ridiculous it doesn't no if you think the last generation of them were, were closer when they first launched they were like 2400 right and, and when have you ever seen that that wheels got lighter mm-hmm. better and cheaper mm-hmm. significantly cheaper. very very rare you know and you can still be spending you know three thousand quid and upwards on, on a set of you know very similar wheels mm. from the likes of of mv or lightweight mm. or um so i think zip deserve a lot of credit for actually yeah. I mean, it all comes stems from, and I talked, you know, I, I interviewed one, you know, the guys from Zip about about the three hundred three when they launched it um, on the podcast, and you know, they were basically saying that the the new rim design with its hookless technology means that when they manufacture it, um, it's a solid mold. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a hooked rim, mm-hmm. you can't use a solid mold because it's too complex. So you end up with silicon, sure, and that silicon can be used once and then it gets thrown away, and so it's not that green it's much much more expensive you know zip have made stainless steel molds for this new rim uh-huh. which will make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of wheels yeah um and there's less carbon waste because there's less finishing because of the, you know, because of the rim design mm-hmm. um so it's greener it's leaner and 
most importantly, Zipper passed that cost off, uh, that cost saving onto the customer. Mm -hmm. You know, they've gone. We've made something lighter, more aerodynamic, better, stronger, and it's cheaper, and we're going to pass that on. Yeah, you know, they haven't used it as a an excuse to keep elevating, which is you know, it's a good thing. It brings it brings that tech to more people. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about bringing great tech to more people, you cannot underestimate Hunt. Yeah, you know, startup British brand. It's still very young. When they started out, they were pumping out some really good, for the money quality wheel sets. Mm -hmm. You know, at frankly quite amazing prices. Yeah, and in such a short period of time, we're only talking like five six years. They're now sponsoring a pro tour team. Mm. You know, and they've got a, a famed wheel designer on staff that came from the, you know the big Italian brands. Yeah, and you're thinking somehow they've managed to maintain that mantra of of affordability with yeah. it. So we we interviewed her on the podcast as well actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we you know it's it's quite an exciting time in 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 kind of wheel design not necessarily from the design point of view because I think everybody's kind of arriving at this kind of balance between aerodynamics and stability mm -hmm. because you know if you've been around long as around I have some of those early aero wheels which were giving you phenomenal fingers of the wind tunnel were almost even rideable in the real world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can remember, you know, descending descending a, a rather steep mountain um, in France on a brand new set of aero wheels and riding basically between a gap between two walls, so an, basically an open gate, mm -hmm. and the wind put me on the other side of the road before I even knew where I was. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it was literally, they were like, they acted like a sail. Yeah. And you, you, it literally made the tires squeak. And you were pushed onto the wrong, wrong side of the road, mm. and I was like, "Jesus Christ, this, yeah. is, you know, <laughs> this is not worth it." You know, they, and that's when the you know kind of wheel designers were designing wheels in the isolation of a wind tunnel, testing them on a velodrome, and now actually thinking, "Well, let's go outside." Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And you get outside and go, "Jesus, these are unridable." Yeah. You know, like literally unridable. You know, mm -hmm. to, to the point where you know I'd had the, I'd, you know I'd had some some wheels like that on test back here in the UK, and like at the minute I tested them, I couldn't wait to get rid of get them off the bike. Yeah, you know, and then I'd have friends sort of going, "Oh, can I try those wheels? Can I try the wheels?" And I, I go, "Yeah, but on your own head, be it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, literally, you know, you, no promises there. Yeah, no promises there. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think as a great all-round wheel, I would say Reynolds twenty-eight, Zip three hundred three, some of the Shadow of Hunt options, um, lightweight, uh, something like DT's Manchester Hours, an absolute classic. Mm. Not cheap, but phenomenally light. Um, Fulcrum was some of their racing, you know, their lighter racing mm -hmm. options. I mean, Fulcrum wheels are just built so well; they're just built to last, yeah. which is great. You know, um, if you're if you're looking towards that more aero, so you're you're riding is much more rolling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of fast and you know hills rather than big climbs. Then you can go something a bit deeper. Um, I've been spending a lot of time recently on the new Zip four hundred four, which is kind of based on the three hundred three design. They've done the same thing, but they've They've brought the pricing down as well, which is a great thing. It's a slightly narrower rim, so it's optimized more around a 25 mil tire and a 28 mil tire at the kind of max. Whereas the 303 can be used, you know, right up to big gravel. You know, yeah. I've got a set of 303s on on that Sram gravel bike contest mm -hmm. at the minute, which is running 40c tires. You know, mm -hmm. it's absolutely fine. But then on my own road, I've got another set of the Firecrest running 28s, and they're perfectly yeah. perfectly good on that as well. The 404 is more pure road focused. Beautifully balanced wheel, incredibly fast, mm -hmm. um, and and much much cheaper. But then you've also got like Hunt with the Limitless, 
you know the, the limitless you know, wheel design absolutely brilliant right you know um their new free hub has got a much better and faster engagement than their earlier ones um and the, i've been testing the 60 limitless so 60 mil deep uh-huh. and for a wheel that deep it's incredibly well behaved in windy conditions um they're not expensive i think they're sub 1200 quid for a pair right okay for the standard one um a little bit heavier than the 404s but on the limitless they do offer a um a ceramic speed upgrade mm-hmm. so you can have the standard bearings which are very nice mm-hmm. replaced with ceramic speeds which drops a couple hundred grams out of it uh, out of the overall weight and elevates the price by a few hundred quid but but still i think they're sub 1500 quid right okay you know, really for, for it is actually now a, a pro tool yeah, proven yeah. wheel. You know, yeah. so um, I think, yeah, I think you know, uh, and then Hunt really owned the budget end of things. You know, the budget market. So, you know, if you're talking about, I think it's the Mason. You know, the Mason Times Hunt four season alloy disc mm-hmm. you know, wheel set, just brilliant. Uh, everything it does is just absolutely brilliant. You know, right. it, it's broad so it can take a big tire, but it's perfectly good on a road. They're hard wearing, they're well put together, um, and they're under four hundred quid. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 they're not, you know, sub sixteen hundred grams. You know, and if you think most bikes that you'll buy now, say under two two and a half thousand pounds, the standard wheels are coming at the OE equipment wheels on it. You're probably looking at eighteen hundred grams, mm-hmm. nineteen hundred grams, sort of sort of thing. So. For less than four hundred quid, you're dropping close to half a kilo. Yeah, which is not to be sniffed at. Really. Yeah, 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 not you at know. all. Let's roll on to a couple of other bits and pieces then. So, um, number eight is is a seat post. It's not the sexiest of items. No, not at all. Um, but I guess you probably underestimate how much time one spends using a seat post. Yeah, I mean the thing with the seat post is it's the simplest upgrade to make. Mm-hmm. Anybody can. Swap seat post. Yeah, you know, you need a, you need a multi tool and um, five minutes, and you can do it. And again, it boils down to a similar thing like bars and stems. It's all about fit. Mm-hmm. So, as I was saying, if your bike feels a little bit long or a little bit short, a change of seat post will help. Um, and it doesn't have quite the same sort of major effects on handling that it would change into a you know. Mm-hmm. If you if you feel your bike's overly long and you dropped out your hundred mil stem and put like a sixty on it. It will fundamentally change the, the steering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will change the way it handles. If, but it's probably better to put um, an offset seat post on, so you can actually slide the saddle back and and adjust your mm-hmm. your length there. Um, and the other thing is, it's a it's one area where a lot of brands will look to make savings. Yeah. So they will put the cheapest, nastiest, heaviest alloy seat post on a bike, and. You know, you can drop a good 100, 150 grams just by changing changing mm-hmm. to a carbon post and you'll make it a bit more comfortable Yeah, because you get that little bit more like shock absorption. And I don't think you need to spend huge amounts, you know. I mean, you've got um, as a premium option the Canyon S14 VCLS 2.0 CF, bit of a mouthful. Yeah, it's good. Um, is that the so I've got um one of Canyon's VCLS posts on my uh, gravel bike and it's it's got that split design, yeah. so it's got a bit of fore and aft. Um, twang is that is that the same sort of that's the same yeah basically the same principle it just it just brings more comfort if you know if you think you're the back end of your bike's a little bit harsh then switching to a seat post like that would mm-hmm. just like just takes a sting out of the tail yeah. it just makes it you know everything just a bit a bit smoother a bit more flowy but most carbon posts will will give you some, some element of that you know and i also think there's 
there are so many bargains out there at the minute mm. just looking at seat posts. I think because a lot of frame designs have moved to this dedicated dedicated design. You know, yeah. the D-shaped post became, you know, ever popular since, you know, BMC and Giant introduced it. And most of the brands went, oh, we'll, we'll have a bit of that. Mm. It's a little aero game for, for not much. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of aftermarket seat post thing out there, they're... The market shrunk. The market shrunk, bit. and there's still quite a fair bit of product out there, you know. So I was just looking around for this, and you know, I found like an FSA K Force Lite, which is a proper premium mm -hmm. post. You know, this is super, super high end, and it really light. You know, for like a 400 mil post, 250 grams. Yeah, you know, that's that's getting proper, proper light. And you know, uh, some of the big online retailers were banging them out for 60 quid. Right. It was a 200 quid seat post when it launched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so there's bargains to be had. There are real bargains to be had, and if you're not, you know, sort of brand conscious or whatever, you know, there are there, are, you know, small small little, you know, brands out there like people like Brand X and stuff, where you mm -hmm. can pick up a pretty decent carbon post, mm. which you've probably seen branded lots of OE names yeah. for like a tenner. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and there's not many places on your bike where you could save 100 grams, 150 grams by spending a tenner. Yeah, yeah, you know, so have a dig around, see what there is. Yeah, yeah, I guess so long as it's a uh, Fairly sort of recognisable brand. There's never really going to be any issues. I think you'd be unlucky. So number seven, um, it's not something. Well, it's something you buy because they do cost can cost a bit of money, but it's not something you fit to your bike. Uh, and it's more about you fitting your bike to you. So it's a bike fit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know this is, and I've had a few bike fits over the years, um, and it is quite remarkable the the change it can have, mm. the difference it can make, um, just by. Either confirming that you've got yourself in the right position or just asking somebody that's an expert on if what you're doing is right, you know, um, and just making those smallest adjustments. You know, I mean, I had a, a, you know, one of the first fits I had years ago. Um, we, the only thing we really did was we altered my saddle height by five mil. Mm -hmm. And I saw differences. Yeah. You know, in riding with a power meter i saw you know an increase in power and also being held, able to hold that power for longer mm -hmm. and and it and then there was you know and it's things like if you've got twinges or aches and pains after riding for a certain amount of time it's got something to do with the way you sit on a bike or something to do with posture so just going in and to somebody that can talk you through these things mm -hmm. um but i would say you know the one fundamental thing to do if you're having a bike fit is it's a two-way conversation don't be blinded by science. Don't let somebody instill what they believe mm -hmm. you should be doing on a bike. You're, you've got to, if they go, you know, it, you could end up going to a, to a fitter that's only ever fitted races or time trialists. Yeah. And he's going to try and slam you and stretch you and do it. And you're just going to, you just fundamentally, you know, if that's not what you're after, you just fundamentally have to go, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. This is not what I want. Uh, but then it can also go the other way where, you know, if somebody spent a lot of time fitting, you know, more kind of leisurely riders you know they can end up putting you in almost like a hybrid position you go no i don't want you know mm -hmm. and so it's always got to be this feels good this doesn't feel good sure. I, this is not you know this is, I, and talk you know just talk talk about where you ride how you ride mm -hmm. what sort of speeds you ride at you know um the bits of cycling you enjoy mm -hmm. the bits of cycling you don't enjoy because you know those bits you don't enjoy could be something to do with your comfort your comfort yeah and yeah. you know um and then there are so many fitting, fitting options out there right now, you know. Um, so, you know, you go up to like the premium end and, yeah, I mean, here, in, you know, especially in the UK, you know, there are 
three or four kind of wind tunnel options you can mm-hmm. go to and be, you know, both fitted with guys who fit the pros. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of, the one that we'd recommend, we've done a few things with, with them, is um, the bike tailor mm-hmm. who's based up in Silverstone. Um, and that is a wind tunnel fit. Although the bike tailor would basically come fit you anywhere, you know, because his, his main business is tailor, tailor building beautiful bikes, you know, okay. super bikes for, for, for rich people. Um, but he's, you know, um, uh, Stevens is a really good guy and he's very, he's very, very knowledgeable. He's seen everything, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, he's fitted everybody from top pros um, to um, rich, older gentlemen mm. buying expensive bikes. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd probably want to have the right position of Cav, but I'm never going to have that, yeah. you know. So he's, you know, and, and and because a lot of his business is selling these really, really expensive bikes, the last thing he wants to do is sell a bike. Mm-hmm. And then somebody come back to him and go, I don't, I don't like it because yeah, yeah. they're 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 wrong on it. So that's like the premium end of things, and you're talking around two hundred seventy five quid for the for the wind tunnel fit. Mm-hmm. And going to a wind tunnel was always fun. I mean, you've yeah, done yeah. it, you've yeah. done it, haven't you? And you know, so two hundred seventy five quid actually sounds like it's a good day out. It is a it's a great day out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you get to see all this like, kind of be surrounded with all this cutting edge technology. Mm. But then the other one, um, which you know, I've had a few fits um, with them, is is Retool, mm-hmm. which is you know, Retool from Specialized. You know, it's a company specialized bought a few years ago and they kind of absorbed all their kind of body geometry knowledge into this very clever bike fitting system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think the perception is for a lot of people is like because most retail fitting suites are in specialized concept stores, that you can't go there if you don't own a specialized sure. or if you're not in the market to buy a specialized. But they'll fit anybody mm-hmm. and, and you can go in on your own bike, mm-hmm. you know, and they're actually pretty good value. It's like it's around 100 quid for a yeah. fit. You know, so you, you can book yourself in on your own bike. It doesn't have to be a specialized. You go in there, they'll fit you, they'll give you their advice. I mean, they're probably going to sort of say, oh, you might be a little bit better off on a body geometry saddle. You might be a little bit better off with, you know, our footbeds mm-hmm. and your shoes or whatever. But you're still getting the really good fundamental, yeah. you know, bike fit advice. And, and I think I think it's one of those areas where a lot of people, and I was, I was guilty of this for years, of, of just sort of, Ignoring that, thinking you can upgrade or mm-hmm. buy improvements mm-hmm. when you know the bike's just a tool. You're the engine. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're the most complex moving parts of a bike. So take care of you know, get that bit right first before you start. Mm-hmm. You know, throwing huge amounts of money at things like wheels. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, hit through six uh, and then down into five. But at down number six, uh, a bike computer. So this is obviously uh, things like uh, your Garmin's um, computers from Wahoo. There's there's all sorts out there, um, and it's not just about navigation as well. Like I, I use my Garmin for just for route finding. I've got no particular sort of training aspect. But you talked a lot about um, fitness and, and and the data side of it that you're able to get from that. Yeah, I think one of the things with a with a bike computer, and you know, this goes back to very earliest sort of you know bike computers out there when you're talking about things like the, you know, a Katai Mitty, which was like the ultimate mm. one to have, you know, way, way back. And, and along the side that, you'd probably have like a, you know, a riding diary. I think I, for years, used to, you know, uh, one of my Christmas presents every year from one of my, one of my um, uncles was Ron Kitchen's riding diary. Right. And it was basically just a page who just said, how many miles have you done on this day? What was the weather like? Yeah. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, uh, proper nerdy. Yeah. But that's, that, that's all, that's all, I think a lot of people are really using the Garmin for. I mean, navigation is a great thing, but mm. then you're looking at a, a lot more. And, you know, to be fair, navigation, you can probably do on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do think about a bike computer is it's one of those great 
motivators for either keeping up mm-hmm. or doing more. Sure. You know, it's one of those one of those things. And you know, I'm not just I'm not talking like the world of the Strava obsessive trying to, you know, trying to get KOMs or whatever mm-hmm. against a myriad of people you don't know and you don't know what they're riding or mm-hmm. you know. Um and and the thing, you know, always the thing with with I always find kind of funny on Strava is that um well it's all well and good if you've got if you've got this KOM, but if then, you know, a cat one race comes through and there's 40 guys like absolutely nailing themselves. You're never going to get close yeah. to any of that. You know, it, it happened in, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of those sort of striver people, but a few years ago, the tour of Britain basically came right through my town mm-hmm. and the two big climbs around there, which there were kind of a lot of local people were kind of, I've got it. I've got it. I've yeah, got it. Sure, and yeah. the tour of Britain went through it and there were minutes faster <laughs> than anybody else. And you just sort of went, well, <laughs> what's the point? What's the point in that again? You know, so, but I think as a self-motivational tool, you know, sure. Garmin does this really well on Garmin Connect that they that you can earn badges. Yeah. You know, you can earn badges for how much you've ridden, how much you've climbed. And this is every month. And then you can set yourself like yearly goals or mm. weekly goals. And, and it's all these little things that when you get up in the morning and you look outside and it's grey and it's a bit wet, you think, oh, God, you know. And then you're thinking, oh, yeah, but I'm only mm. a thousand feet from getting my, my monthly climbing record. It's one of those things that will just tip sure. you over the edge and get you out. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that you know a lot of the a lot of those those computers are they are quite an expensive thing, and it's as a motivational tool thing they're brilliant. You know, if you think you know the my sort of go to one most most days is a is a Garmin Edge eight thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a brilliant little you know it's a proper smart brilliant little computer. It's three hundred fifty quid. It's quite a yeah, lot. Yeah. It's quite a lot of money to, yeah. to shut out. You know, Wahoo again. You know, they do some great stuff. Uh, similar sort of money or a little bit less. You know. Probably don't have quite the myriad of functionality of, of you know the, the more expensive edges, um, but what I would say is like you've got a supercomputer in your pocket, mm. you know, a phone with a really good app, and mm-hmm. I'm talking you know things like Strava, um, will do exactly everything that that you know a decent bike computer could do. Yeah. Um, so then what you're looking for is just a decent phone mount if you're not if that's if you want a general display so if you want to see it sure. all the time if not just put it in a plastic bag and put it in your pocket yeah yeah yeah, you know, yeah. it's you can still do all that thing you know and there's a phone case that i've been using and transferring onto a lot of different bikes at the minute by fidlock mm-hmm. and to be honest it's brilliant it's like it's compact it works on a combination of of, of a magnet and suction mm-hmm. and it's quite brilliant actually mm-hmm. it's so tenaciously grippy it's insane you know I've, I've been testing for a few e-bikes recently and if you've got like an e-bike let's say e-bike motion to get the best out of e-bike motion you really need to see be seeing the app in front of you because mm-hmm. it gives you so it can gives you sure. all, the, all the metrics you want and you can use it as a navigation tool and all this sort of thing yeah but most most e-bikes don't come with any sort of phone mount so the phone's in your pocket you're like oh well yeah. not, you know i'm not getting all the all the functionality of this and then this fidlock you know you just like vacuum, poof, bang it on the bike, mm-hmm. and it is so strong. I mean, you can rotate it for three hundred and sixty degrees really simply, so you can have it landscape, portrait, whatever. But I can pick up. There's a one of the e-bikes I've got a minute, the Le Monde Prologue, mm-hmm. which is this beautiful new carbon, um, you know, lightweight flat bar kind of urban suburban e-bike. It's really very very nice. You know, I'll be bringing out a big test on that quite soon. But it's still an e-bike, so it's still not. Like you know, it's still like I think 12, 12 kilos or something like that. I can pick that bike up with my phone, just holding the phone because the the suction the vacuum yeah. the magnetism of that clamp is that good. So right. I can literally grab my phone and pick yeah, the whole yeah. bike up with it. 
Huh. You know, it, it's it's mental. And then to release it, it's, it's got it's like a little trigger you just push and it pops uh, okay. off. It pops off straight away. Yeah, yeah. It's Never it's ever. just a, such a it's a really clever mm. bit of you know design and engineering. Mm. Fabulous thing. Um, Good luck. Yeah, worth looking out for. All right, um, number five. It's pretty simple, I think. Keeping your bike clean and lubed. Definitely, absolutely. I think you know um, we've got a few a few people more obsessive than me about this. <laughs> Simon. Um, yeah, Simon. <laughs> you know his 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 uh, interest in keeping these sorts of things clean and tidy, and how much how much you can lose in, in energy by a badly maintained yeah. drivetrain is quite, you know. Yeah. And, and some of the, some of the numbers that, you know, that, that are quoted are, you know, you sort of, what, really? Yeah. I mean, so you, you've, you've talked to Jason Smith at Friction Facts and as you said, the dirtiness of the chain, uh, you can lose three to five watts, um, one or 2%. And, it's, and in extreme cases, a muddy chain has lost 12 watts of, you know, which is, so you, I feel you're probably going to feel that. Yeah. Well, if you think of it in another way, how how hard would you have to train and how many lifestyle choices and changes would you have to make to have a 12-watt improvement in power? Yeah, sure. Yeah, FTP so, up by 12 watts is quite yeah. a jump. Yeah. So to throw that away by just not keeping things clean sure. is pretty... Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Um, so I just think... And I think there's something quite... Um, I think there's something quite holistic about cleaning bikes. Mm-hmm. I know some people see it as an absolute chore, chore, but it's something I quite like it to be honest. You know, <laughs> I, I sort of—I mean, I rode into—I rode in today, and and you know, my commute is thirty miles to the office. Um, but the bike that I rode in on was my my, you know, my old favourite e-bike, mm. um, and I spent I think three or four hours at the weekend like, really? cleaning it and servicing it, getting it all properly spick and span. I rode in today and I got like four miles away from the office and, yeah. and then it turned into a monsoon. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, Jesus, got to do it again. But I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I think, it, and then it's all about really, you know, choosing choosing what to do. I, you know, I, I, I think trying to find green cleaners is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think for, for chain lube, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of wax-based mm-hmm. lubricants. I just, um, again, if there's something nice about about drip, you know, drip wax on mm-hmm. a on a you know, perfectly clean chain because it makes you spend your time and just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. get get it all on there. Very methodical, very methodical, and that sort of thing. The only problem is that a lot of the the wax based lubes are phenomenally expensive. Mm. You know, I've got um, I'm lucky enough to have some of the ceramic speed UFO drip drip chain lube. Um, but that was after you know I went over to see them and did a feature about them a few years ago. Um, and they were sort of, you know, telling me how brilliant it was and, and gave me something to take away with me, mm-hmm. which I used very, very sparingly, sparingly on a couple of bikes. And it is a phenomenal stuff. Sure. And when you go into their kind of, their, their sheds out the back of the factory or where they make it, it's like, you know, it's like the weirdest chem lab you've ever been in <laughs> because it's just, there is there were so many weird household products that they've been trying to put into this. Right. You know, so okay. we're talking things like sesame seed oil, olive oil, sure, and all these different kind of natural waxes and things that they've been like cooking up. I still don't know what the recipe is, yeah. but I'm really impressed that you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they probably don't want to give away because just go down Tesco's. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it is phenomenal stuff. But it's what thirty-seven quid mm-hmm. for a bottle, so it's not the sort of thing you want to just like mm-hmm. chuck out there. So the one, the one that I do use day to day on pretty much all my bikes is Squirt. Sure. 
um, which is much cheaper. It's like 12 quid for mm-hmm. 120 ml bottle. Um, and it's just, it's fabulous stuff. It's just yeah. really, really good. It just keeps, you know, it, it's quite good at just keeping muck off the chain and yeah. just keeping everything nice and smooth. And to be honest, you know, a well-maintained, a well-cleaned, a well-lubricated bike just pays dividends in the long run. Mm-hmm. Smoother to ride. It's quieter to ride. You'll have a nicer time. The bits will last longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go faster. And, yeah, if you believe, you know, the research by, by engineering people far cleverer than I, then there are performance gains to be had. Yeah. But a performance gain for me, I think, is riding a bike that doesn't creak, rattle or squeak. Yeah. Because then I'm just thinking about riding. Yeah. Or I'm going, God, this bike's nice. Hmm. Rather than going, what is that? Mm-hmm. You know, because then you, 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 your head's not in the game, is it? Yeah. You know, if you're if you're trying to work out where that noise is coming from, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think there's something, you know, there's definitely something to be said in a almost spiritual level of, you know, <laughs> the spirit. The, the, the zen, you know, the zen of keeping your bike clean. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something in that. All right. Well, let's um, <laughs> let's move to number four before we get to. Um too holistic about all this uh we've talked about fit and you know obviously a lot of things that you're going to be changing on your road bike is is to do with fit and how you sort of sit and and are positioned on the bike and obviously one of the key ones for that um is your saddle yeah absolutely i mean again it all comes down to bikes are sold at the average the mean Mm. average of of you know what what they consider is like will be fit and benefit most people and, it, and I mean, this kind of boils back down to whenever I'm testing bikes. I'd never, I, you know, I know a lot of, you know, fellow testers all around the world and things. The first thing they do when they get a bike is change the saddle to their sure. preferred saddle. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of on the other side of like, most people aren't in that privileged position. Mm. Most people just buy a bike and then they'll get on it and they'll ride it. And so that's what I tend to do. So weirdly over the years, my hindquarters have been accustomed to the good, the bad and, mm-hmm. and the ugly. And most saddles don't really bother me mm. or I thought they didn't really bother, bother me until I started having proper like saddle fit sure. like, measures. Again, it's, it kind of stems from um, the kind of accepted norms. You think like your sit line width is, is I, I still think it's the most crucial, most important thing. A lot of people talk about right position and that sort of thing. And obviously, you know, the, where you're putting that pressure on your sit bones is dependent on how you sit on the bike, but it's all within the same thing. And from what, you know, you know, it's been said and all that sort of thing, it's that kind of, I'm a big tall guy, you know, I'm, I'm over six foot two, I'm 94, 95 kilos. Um, I just assume, oh, I need a big saddle. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be broad, you know, I'm going to be, and so I was always looking at saddles that are like, you know, one five five width, one sixty width, something like that. Because I thought that's that's what I need. Because yeah, yeah. I'm a big big lad, and um, I got measured, and they went, no, actually, sit bones are one forty three. Mm-hmm. So I'd been riding the wrong saddle, thinking it was the right saddle for a long time, and then as soon as I made that change, I was like, oh god, you know, it all makes I, sense. This, yeah, it, it's not that I felt uncomfortable before, but now I just feel so much more comfortable. Sure, and it, and it's it's again, I think it's one of the things, along with getting a fit, along with it's just about knowing yourself better. Mm-hmm. Um, Get into the the bike shop. You know, every you know, most of the major brands. You know, Cellar Italia, Physique, uh, Pro Logo. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others as well. They've all got fitting systems, mm. and they're all much of a muchness. Where they just, you know, some do it computer based, and it's really really clever. There are some like SQ Labs where you, they basically sit on a bit of cardboard. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but they all come up with fundamentally the same thing as, and it's telling you where those pressure points when you're sitting are, mm-hmm. and then choose a saddle to suit, and 
it can be one of those things that will just change yeah. change everything. It will just you know it can just make it it can make you shift from being oh I can ride this far until I'm tired, uncomfortable, blah blah blah, to oh my god I can ride this far. Yeah, because it's one of those. It's what you know. It's as soon as you start getting saddle pain or or, or painful, that's it. Your day's done mm-hmm. because it's know, just unpleasant. It's just unpleasant, yeah. So you just don't want to do it, you know. And it's and it's one of the things that can be really really off putting, especially to newer riders. Mm-hmm. So you know, I know most people listen to this podcast are going to be long term riders and that sort of thing. But you probably have riding friends that have just started, or, yeah. or relatives, or kids, or partners. And so what I would say is, if you want them to become someone that's going to ride with you all the time and get really, really into it, just go, let's get you fitted properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let's get the, the right saddle for you. Because mm-hmm. it's the worst thing is to take somebody out for a ride and mm-hmm. you're going, this is the best thing in the world. You know, cycling is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Um, and halfway through, they're going, oh, my, my, my bum hurts, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and there's nothing, you can't fundamentally change, you know, you can't go, no, no, it's fine. You know, you yeah. go, no, it hurts, yeah. you know. One of the um, one of the choices you put down is uh, your premium one. It's three hundred and ninety pounds. So I mean, you know, people spend a lot of money on beds. People spend a lot of money on surface because you spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, so you've, you know, like I, I can actually understand why you might spend an awful lot of money on a saddle. It's the specialized S Works Power with mirror. Yeah. Now, can we? Hold <laughs> on. I don't think I need a mirror anywhere near where that saddle's going. But um, basically, this is a three D printed right. saddle. Okay, but it's it's built with like these kind of it's kind of looks like almost like a honeycomb, and it's got these kind of almost like sort of pillars mm-hmm. that's in between. So it's really empty, kind of airy thing. Okay. Physique also uses the same technology. It comes from it comes from like running. Okay, um, so that's why they're so expensive. Is because each each one has to be printed, and that takes a long, long time. Sure, but it it's insane. Mm-hmm. It, the comfort is just off the charts mm-hmm. absolutely off the charts i'm hoping the price of the technology is going to come down yeah or at least maybe they'll, they'll offer that tech without the carbon hull and the carbon rails and all mm-hmm. the other expensive bits you know i'm really hoping that it comes down because it literally is just a saddle you could you could sit on for days and you just it's just so ridiculously comfortable mm-hmm. um and i i know i was looking at them you know when i, when I first got to try and go Oh yeah, this is fantastic. But then going back to my obsession with keeping things clean, it's gonna be a nightmare to clean. Because hmm. imagine if that gets muddy, and it isn't. Yeah, it isn't. It just you know all the muck just blows out of it sure. and stuff. Um, and it's just it's so adaptive. It's kind of like going from, you know, and, and this is kind of relevant to me because I've just spent a lot of money on a new new bed. Um, <laughs> it's going from an old metal sprung mattress that's done its time and yeah. is a little bit kind of lumpy and thingy over there to then go and get you know getting like a proper memory foam mattress mm-hmm. with the proper kind of titanium coil you know the one i've got costs so much ridiculous amount of money but you know it's cooler it's it's insanely comfortable it's like you know all of a sudden you know i used to get up at like half five in the morning because uh, i just felt i need to get half five mm. in the morning now i could just stay in bed all day because mm. it's just so much more comfortable you know the only thing that gets me up now is the dog <laughs> and 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 it's all down to just the technology is just right. It's just yeah. so, so good. And, you know, Specialized as well, they've been doing, you know, the body geometry thing that they've been doing on saddles for years. They've kind of got the shapes nailed. Mm. And that power, the power is like, the you know, the short stubby saddle. Yeah. You know, um, which 
um, I've become a really, really big fan mm. of after years and years and years of actually quite liking, you know, long saddles like the Fisicarioni. Mm. And then, you know, I was just talking to one of our old colleagues, um, Ben Delaney, mm. you know, um, who who briefly kind of left being a journalist and went and worked for Specialised. And then when he came, you know, came back into journalism and was working with those guys, you know, he was like, you've got to try the power, you've got to try the power. And I was like, nah, it's rubbish, it's fad. And then I got hold of one and I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, we just had um, MBUK have just done a saddles test with uh, men's and women's saddles. So Catherine and Ed did it. And quite often at the end of like a group test, you know, products don't always go back straight away. Sometimes, they don't, you know, who's going to want a second hand saddle? You know, it's not really worth much. So often they, you know, they can get used longer term. Um, and both Catherine and Ed, um, when they're asking for, you know, a saddle to ride a bit longer, both of them wanted the special power mimic that they were sort of both had. Yeah. Um, it, is, it, is, it is brilliant. And a really interesting thing with the power is that it was originally conceived as a women's saddle. Yeah. You know, so... Um, which goes back to years and years and years ago. I was out in Italy um, at Sella Italia and they were presenting a whole new saddle thing and they were presenting a whole new saddle fitting system. Um, and they did a huge amount of research into sit bone width. Mm-hmm. And for years and years and years, we've been told there are men's saddles and there are women's saddles. Mm. And these are the differences. Mm-hmm. And they did this huge sample um, at one of the big Italian universities. And we're talking tens of thousands of people mm. and found that the sit bone width in men was both narrower and wider than any women. Right. That women fitted absolutely within the category. Obviously, there are other fundamental differences that you've got to account for sure. in, in the way you're shaping things. But at that time, women's saddles were always big, yeah. big, fat, wide things. And they'd actually gone, well, actually, there were just as many men that would need that sort of saddle as there would women. And there were just as many women that, that can ride on a super narrow, mm. you know, it, it, you know, you can't you, you can't split it on those sort of. It was kind of it was a really interesting thing. So, um, when something like the power came along, and they went, well, actually, yeah, we were originally designed for women, but it works for equally well for both. Mm-hmm. You kind of yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, to quote Christina Aguilera, the hips don't lie. <laughs> yeah. But then on the on the you know on the more affordable side, there are lots of really good fabric. Really good you've got in there. Yeah, the fabric. Um, the Lioness, which is a short stubby saddle, mm. great channel, really nice and light. Um, really good price. I mean, I don't know. There's a sort of, there's a bit of greyness on the future of, of where fabric are going, mm. which would be a really real shame because for years fabric have just nailed that. The saddle's always just been the thing, you know, if people, ever, if you ever read anything oh, on a forum or whatever it is, or what saddle, someone's always going to come in with a fabric model yeah. of some sort, whether it's scoop or a line or, or, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but this, you know, the line S is, is their take on the short saddle. Sure. It's brilliant. Um, and what, 60 quid for? Yeah, 60 quid, yeah. Perfect. All right. Um, we've got three more to go. Um, we've been rattling on a bit, but I think it's all been, I think, I think it's all right, actually. Quite with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's do number three. Um, tubeless and inner tubes. Um, so we've talked about wheels. Yeah. Um, and there is something else we're going to talk about later on, which is going to be relevant to this as well. But... There's obviously quite a bit of development and chat going on, especially around tubeless. Uh, it's, it's the next big thing uh, in terms of, of comfort, puncture, resistance. But tubes still definitely have a bit of a place anyway. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. I mean, from personal use, personal experience, if I'm riding anything 28 mil and above on a road, or gravel, whatever, I'll always want to go tubeless. Mm-hmm. If I'm riding anything below that, I just stick with tubes. 
Because it's easier. It's, it's, it's easier to live with. Um, until Hookless came along, seating a 25mm oh, hooked just tubeless tyre was insane. I mean, it, to the extent that I went and bought a compressor mm. for the simple reason that mm. it was the only way to, you know, you're testing so many wheels, so many tyres. And I was sick of spending two or three hours and getting nowhere. I was like, right, I'm just going to go and buy a compressor. Mm. You know. So I'm still a big advocate of inner tubes. Um, but bad inner tubes yeah. can really harm the way a bike feels. So let's talk about bad inner tubes quickly as to ones you shouldn't buy. Well, I just think it's like if you're in a bike shop or a big bike multiple or whatever, just don't buy the cheapest one. It's right. It's so tempting. Just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Look, those images two ninety nine, but they're thick, they're heavy, um, they're usually fairly inconsistent. So it sort of it, the balance feels off, mm-hmm. um, and they just dull. It will just dull the ride of your bike. Um, but then at the other end, you know, a lot of people talk about kind of you know super light latex tubes or just super light butyl tubes, and they're great, and they do save a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. But experience with something they're so inconsistent. Sure, and some of them that I've had are terrifyingly fragile. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's all well and good. Like, well, you know, look how much weight I've lost on the, look at the rolling, you know, the, the, the rolling mass that I've lost by going to this energy. Blah, blah. But if you're spending most of your time by the side of the road trying to fix it, <laughs> yeah, you ain't going faster. Yeah. You know? I mean, and some, you know, some of them, some of those super, super light ones, um, they just leak, you know, so you'll, you'll get home, you'll hang your bike up and then you'll get the next one to go for it and you go, Bruh. Both my tires are flat, mm. and and that just so seeds of doubt that you pump them up with pressure again. You're out for a ride, and all the time you're thinking, now, are do these just leak, or have they got punctures? Have they got slow punctures that I just haven't found? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of you know, I've had like super light tires that have been punctured by a bit of flint, and then when you've taken the tire off to get the tube out and looked at it, that bit of flint has created like an inch long tear. You know, literally just because they're they're like almost like gossamer sure. thin, yeah, so yeah. they just disintegrate you know yeah i mean i had one um a couple of years ago i'm, I'm a stupid big kid so um i, I still like doing big skids <laughs> and like literally doing a skid and shredding a latex tube like literally it, it when i took it out it was it looked like a um um it looked like a pair of stockings you know mm-hmm. looked, you know it it was just it looked like a spider's web. It had just gone to nothing. And all that was was the friction of the tube rubbing against the tyre as I was doing a skid. Sure. And it, so it stretched and stretched it and it just went... Pfft. Yeah, yeah, And so he left it and he like, took it out and it was almost in two halves. Yeah. And it's like... And he's just going, is it, is it worth it? You know, is this yeah. worth it? But they only save a few grams over what I think is the best inner tube out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's... um, It's Continental's race light. You know, mm-hmm. it's fairly boxed down. You get it in pretty much every every bike shop. Yeah. In a vending machine in, in Germany. Yeah, in vending machines in Germany. It's eight quid. Yeah. You know, eight quid, 75 gram weight. Mm-hmm. They're tough, light. It's continental, so they're supremely consistent. Got really nice, you know, the valve's good. It's got removable core, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so putting valve extenders on it if you're running deep wheels. Yeah. Just, you know, I'll just go, don't look for anything more fancy than that. Yeah. You know, Why would you? Yeah. yeah. It, it's just so, so dependable and just so good. And then, you know, consequently, like all tubeless, it just isn't equal. You know, mm-hmm. the the quality of tubeless valves that either come as original equipment or bike or that you can buy out there, again, can be really, really inconsistent. Yeah, it can be. You know, 
Um, and there's nothing nothing worse than getting a set of you know a set of valves that come with like fifteen different rubber grommets to go on the other end, and you're looking going, oh, which one is supposed to go with this rim? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's getting better. It's getting a lot, lot better. You know, you know, a lot of wheel brands out there are actually sort of making almost like like molding into the rim. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really. I mean, there's a there's an American brand Boys. You know, I tested on their wheels recently, and they've actually sort of molded in. Okay. Where the valve sits and where everything. Sure. So the valve is just perfect fit, perfect seal. You know? Yeah. It, it, really good. And I was looking at that going, well, why does everybody do this? Yeah. You know, rather than bringing in any sort of vagaries or, you know, the need for washers or grommets or mm-hmm. any sort of that sort of thing. But I would say if you are looking at, at, at valves. An aftermarket valve. An aftermarket valve. My absolute favourite is the milk kit. Sure. You know, I don't know if you've used them on, on mountain bikes or. I've not. I Personally, I've not tested them. We have done it in the mags. Basically, it's like any other tubeless valve for a simple thing that it's got, um, it's basically got a two-way, two, uh, you know, a two-way you know, rubber insert within it. Okay. So you can take the, um, you can take the, the valve core out uh-huh. to top up your sealant. Right. Um, and you don't use any air pressure. Does it pistol the air up? Yeah. Right. Okay. And you know it, these, they, you know, it's, it's just a you know like a, a valve that's literally got a valve within a valve it within the valve, yeah. You know, that's that's one way. It's just a it's simple but genius idea. Mm-hmm. You know, the the kit, you know, it's not cheap. It's like twenty eight quid, but it comes with a syringe mm-hmm. that is designed to, you know, penetrate and push through that valve. Mm-hmm. So you you know you can constantly top up your sealant and make sure you're you're on top of it. Sure. Yeah, you because know, we all know that you know sealant doesn't last forever. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you can forget about. You know. I have, I, I have from bitter experience, you know, sort of punch it by the side of the road and go, why isn't this tight ceiling? And then actually had a close inspection and go, oh yeah, because it's just chewing gum, yeah. you know, <laughs> because I haven't looked at it for six months. Yeah. You know, and, and the milk kit kind of, it's just one of those things that you just think, oh, you know, it, it's. Keeps you going. Yeah. It's a smart, clever system, more expensive than other valves, but offers a significant advantage. Yeah. And and to go with that though, you, you you recommended Stan's race sealant. Yeah, it's good. It's long lasting. They they've been in this game for longer than anybody else. Yeah, they, they just they the just OGs, seem to do it yeah. better than anybody else. And it'll be standard. The race sealant is they do two. They do a standard sealant and they do is the race sealant the one with slightly thicker, slightly more bits in it to sort of seal yeah. slightly bigger holes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the you know the one element you should be looking at on the road because you are tending to run at much higher pressures. Mm. So. Um, you you want something that's got a bit of a bit of thickness, a bit of viscosity to it. Sure. So you just plug that, you know, plug yeah. that little hole quickly. Because you know, I, I have had that as well, where you know, I've punched a, mm-hmm. I've, I've punched a tire at fairly reasonably high pressure, say you know, sort of seventy psi or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're just watching an arc of mm-hmm. white liquid spraying, you know, literally Swallow spraying over. everywhere apart from sealing the tire. Yeah, and yeah. it's horrible to get off your bike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, before we hit the big. One zero, uh, no zero one. Let's do number two, bar tape. Yeah. And this is again, you know, as I was saying earlier on at the start of this, you know, some of these upgrades aren't experience, uh, aren't expensive, and um, yeah, we're looking at what eighteen quid, twenty five quid for your two recommendations here. Yeah. Again, it's one of those things that fit and concept points on a bike are the fundamental, most important things. Mm. You know, I have ridden lots of bikes that have been very much compromised. Like bad bar tape, mm-hmm. and that includes actually, you know, this year's bike of the year, the the Boardman the okay. SLR nine point four. And the only things I could criticise about that bike was the bar tape. Now the bar tape was good quality. Mm-hmm. It's just their assemblers 
had obviously been thinking, well, we can save a few quid here. Sure. And they stretched it to within an inch of its life. So all of that, you know, soft elastomer goodness was just, just mm-hmm. eked out. And the days of, you know, wrapping your bar tape by, you know, stretching it and pulling it as much as you can, that stems from when bar tapes had no stretch and no give or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, when they were, you know, a, a plastic tape or, or, you know, a hard leather, you know, it's just, it's just kind of old thinking. Um, there are some really good, good bar tapes out there, you know, that will provide all the comfort and all the damping that that outweighs even, you know, um, things like a suspension stem or anything like mm-hmm. that, you know, because really good bar tape kills all those buzzy vibrations and ones that make you tired and mm-hmm. gives you fatigue. And also, you, you know, bar tape is something, it's your immediate contact with a bike. And so you can, you can almost do it to your own preference. You know, if you've got like big shovel sized hands like me, you want a thicker bar, you want mm-hmm. thicker tape. So I tend to rub fairly loosely. And if a brand offers different thicknesses of tape, I'll go for the thickest one because sure. I'd like, you know, it, there's nothing worse than your fingers kind of overlapping lots and, mm-hmm. you know, you almost feel like you're, you're, you're clenching fists, you know, where, whereas you just really want to be nice and yeah. uh, almost relaxed. So I just think it is just one of those simple, simple changes, upgrades that can make such a difference. It can, say, it can turn a bike that you're actually going, oh, I'm not, I think, you know, I'm not feeling this, I'm not enjoying this. And so you go, oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it, and it's that tactile thing. And, um, and also the other thing is, you know, and, and it's about, you know, feeling like, you, you know, feeling the pride in your own bike sort of thing. That sort of thing. Bar tape is a really easy thing to, it's a really easy thing to, again, it's, it's a, wrapping bar tape is a, is a great thing to do. It's, yeah. a, you know, it's a good, um, it's good for kind of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can, I mean, I've got, I've got friends that are just like insane about it. You know, one of my, one of my best friends, um, Paul Smith, a you know, vintage mountain bike journalist and, and and top engineer. Watch him wrap bar tape. It's like it's an art. It's the only person I know that uses verniers. Really? Because he needs yeah, the space. They have to be perfectly spaced. Yeah. So over the years, whenever I've been building up like a brand new bike, I get to that bar tape thing. So Paul, you guys wrap some bar tape on it, <laughs> and then I like, watch him do it for like an hour, and yeah, it's yeah. and it's the precision is off the charts. Yeah. yeah. But you know, but it's sort of. So I just think, and modern bar tape, you know, is so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's, you know, the multi-densities, the elastomers, you know, and everything that's got going on in it. it. It's a myriad better than, you know, what it, you know. it's one of the, the best changes on the bike, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just so, so comfortable. And again, it's not expensive. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you want to, you want to freshen up the look of your bike, put fresh bar tape on, it's brilliant. Change the look a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, change the look. Just make it look, make it look clean. Basically, you yeah. know, new bar tape would do that. And also, got I've quite, I've quite got into recently is um, um, bar tape with no, with no sticky back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because you can wrap that. You tape it at both ends, absolutely fine. If it gets a bit dirty, you can wrap it and clean it. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you and know. then you get the joy of rewrapping. And it. then you get the joy of rewrapping it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've recommended the. Um, Pro Sport Comfort as your budget one. And Pro is um, basically the Shimano's uh, component line. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, 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 some gel padding in there uh, infused within the EVA polymer construction. Um, yeah, it's like three and a half mil thick. The, the length they give you is fairly generous. So if you do want to do a big overlap, you know, it's mm-hmm. almost like double wrapping, um, you can do it. Mm-hmm. I found it to be really hard wearing. Mm-hmm. I, I use it on it. It's on, it's on my, my gravel bike. So um, it proves good enough 
you know, to, yeah. to dampen those sort of road noisy vibrations. Um, so it's available in a decent amount of colours, mm-hmm. and it's pretty hard wearing. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's, there's not a lot, not a lot more to say other than that it does its job it does really, its job really well. well. Yeah. Okay, and then for uh, an astonishing seven pounds more. Yeah, know, this is premium. Yeah, this is the real good stuff. You know, you've got to really make your considerations before buying this. Uh, is the repent. Repente, Repent, uh, Tacky Light. Yeah, Repente is an Italian um, saddle brand. Sure. Um, and they do some really nice, nice innovative stuff with saddles. And this bar tape they've got, fundamentally very similar to the Pope stuff. You know, it's a, it, it's a it's got a, a high amount of elasticity. It vibrations out really, really well. But the surface on it um, is nice and light, sort of lightly textured, but it's got that kind of tacky mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, so... I found it's just fabulous in, you know, riding in the UK, you know, where the, you know, inclement weathers. So when it's wet, you still got loads and loads of grip, even with, you know, ungloved hands and, mm. um, and, you know, like the mini heat wave we had in the summer where it's like, so, you know, your hands are super sweaty because it's got that tacky touch. You, you always feel like perfectly in contact with it. Mm. So it does a brilliant job of, of giving you the right grip, comforts off the charts. It's hard wearing, looks pretty cool. And for something premium, it's only 25 quid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Top stuff. Mm. Okay, well, um, this is the your sort of final choice, the the most important upgrade um, from a mountain bike side. I'd hundred percent agree with this as well. And I think if uh, if you've listened all the way through from ten down to two, you probably guess what we haven't covered off. It's the obvious one, um, and it's your tires. Yeah, I mean, this is quite simply, you know, in over 20, 20 years of testing bikes, and that's meant everything from steel, aluminium, titanium, carbon, and you know, and all the cross-pollination between those the single thing on any bike i've ever tested that can make or break a bike is tires mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than a great bike and crap tires yeah it ruins everything absolutely ruins everything and the way you know you, you sort of you know if you think about it in in the terms of everything else you wouldn't go and buy a porsche 911 and then fit it with a set of you know chinese remolds yeah it, it, it's just it, it seems idiotic that that bike brands do this mm. you know they'll sell you a three grand bike and tell you that it's the best thing on earth and then the tires on it are hard waxy rubber steel bead unfoldable un, you know uncompliant un- mm-hmm. they don't grip they're heavy they don't roll very well yeah and they feel nasty and they feel and it it ruins everything about the bike yeah absolutely everything about the bike you know it, and it's such a simple thing just to get right mm-hmm. i mean there are, you know there've been a few brands over the years where they've they've you know you, they've obviously got really good product managers who've caught on to that so you end up with like fairly low end bikes and they put a, they put a set of tires on it and the bike just dazzles you you go wow this is feels yeah. amazing and even the very best tires out there in the grand scheme of things aren't super super expensive mm-hmm. i know tire pricing has got quite elevated recently yeah. you know it used to be that you know the best tires out there you were looking at 35 quid yeah an end now we're looking more at kind of 55 60 quid especially with the advent of kind of the tubeless mm-hmm. for some reason they seem to think that tubeless technology is much more expensive so we'll put a bit more of a premium on it and it's elevated the price of cliche tires as well um which i don't really understand but it is just a simple the sim the simplest thing is you want to get the best out of your bike or you want your bike to to dazzle 
just give it the best mm-hmm. the best boots, you know. So what are the let's have some recommendations. So we've got clincher, tubeless, and we've got budget and premium. So um let's start at the the, the budget picks. Uh, what what would you sort of But I said budget budget on the on the clincher thing and, and nobody's ever gonna think this is a budget tire. Mm-hmm. One, because it's it's S Works. It's specialized S Works, it's S Works Turbo. Um thirty seven fifty is the full retail price, you know. Mm-hmm. Like any tires you shop around, you might be able to pick them up a little bit cheaper. But I've got the I've used the twenty eights on one of my bikes, and they're just soft, they're supple, they're not heavy. Twenty eight mil tire, two hundred forty grams. Sure, you know it's pretty light. Um, the, the interesting thing with Specialized is they kind of have these kind of they go these non conformist sizes, so they don't do a twenty five, they do a twenty four, right, and a twenty six, and so it's a kind of interesting. That I don't know why they're slightly different, and tire width is kind of a rudimentary thing yeah, yeah. now anyway, because it all depends on what width rim you use. Yeah. Um, but they're really nicely compliant. They're really they're really smooth rolling, and they just they grip for days, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there must be something to what Specialized are doing in tires, because you know they won the tour on clinches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you know a tire from this family, it, you know, has has sat atop the podium in Paris. So they're doing something very, very right. Um, when you're moving on to tubeless, as, as I was saying, you know, tubeless tires just seem to be such much more expensive. So the budget option here isn't actually a fundamentally that much cheaper than than what I would call the premium. Sure. You know, it's like, it's only five quid less, <laughs> which is odd. But again, with tires, you shop around, you can find, yeah. you know. Um, and that's um, Hutchinson, Hutchinson's Fusion 5, the, their storm variant of their performance tire mm-hmm. now hutchinson have been in the tubeless game probably longer than anybody else yeah. and a lot of their early tires were they were they were sort of over overcompensating i think you know so i think they thought they needed to make them stiffer and stiffer so that they weren't burp mm-hmm. um harder wearing because i don't know why because so they they, they did feel a little bit dead you know um mm-hmm. but these as the generations have gone on they've kind of They've, they've mastered the art of the of the tubeless tire. Sure. Um, and these ones, this 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 you know this latest one, the Storm, is basically designed as, an, as the name suggests, an all weather tire, mm-hmm. and it's very very good at mm-hmm. it. And they're very and, and they still they've retained the toughness, but now they've brought in nice rolling and good you know and um, good all weather grip. So not, not much more you can say than you know yeah. that's that's a really good four seasons choice. I would yeah. say you know if you want something a little bit sparkier mm-hmm. then you know move on on to the kind of the premium ones now um i don't think anybody will be surprised by my premium choice on clinchers mm. and it's continental it's the you know it's the gp5000 mm-hmm. um continental have been top of the game in in road clinchers for forever forever for years and years and years and i, I wondered whether they'd ever be able to like top how good the 4000 s2 was mm-hmm. you know and this comes from somebody that over the years has um when I found out some of my favourite tyres were being discontinued, I mean, this goes back years and years, it was to um, um, when I was told by one of the big British distributors, that's your favourite tyre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're discontinuing it next year. And I was like, how many sets have you got? And they were like 10. I went, I'll buy more. Right. <laughs> and you know, I kept using them for years. And even yeah. though probably the next generation of tyre from that particular brand um, was probably a low bear. Uh-huh. It was just kind of I can't bear to be without. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was almost thinking I'm going to need to do that with the with the four thousand yes mm-hmm. too. But then I got some of the early five thousands and 
just blown away. You know, right. it's just it does does it everything a good continental tire has always done. Rolls fast, very very comfortable. You got grip for days, um, and they wear pretty well with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, continental are the ones that they talk about. They you know their compounds for the back bacilli, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something you actually really can feel. You know, I, I love that feeling on, on a dry day on a on a hard you know a good hard surface when you're pushing into a corner and you can almost feel like the tires stretching and yeah yeah, yeah. you know stretching and gripping and gripping and you and so you're taking more and more. You know, you're taking more and more risk on that lean angle. Mm. You, you, you know, you're pushing right onto the limit. And something like the five thousand is that tire that I don't think I've pushed it to its limit. You know, sure. in fast, hard, speedy cornering, and you know, long, you know, long may it rain. You know? Yeah. But then moving on to the tubeless side, um, it's probably one of the newest. Yeah, this surprised you know, me when I saw yeah, this. Yeah, the Goodyear Eagle, the mm-hmm. F1. You know, Goodyear are so new to road tires. Yeah. But they they came out fighting. They really did. You know. Um, and again, it's for very, very similar reasons to the, to the Conti in that it feels fast. Mm-hmm. It feels super fast to a straight line, but it's when you're getting into the you know those those high speed cornering situations and things. This tire just seems to it almost seems to like spread its weight. You know, it, it seems to get bigger right. and get grippier. You know, it's it, you know I kind of you know I was talking to one of um, I, I, another tester. We've both been riding the same sort of tires. Uh, well, the same. The same brand of tires we both got at the same time. Um, doesn't work for us, you know. He's got a successful YouTube channel, um, and we were both sort of saying, "I think I could get my knee down. Yeah. I think you could lean this bike so much because this these grips so well. Right. I think you could get a knee down, you know." And you know, talking about what do we do? We can't get some motorbike leathers and go and try <laughs> try this out yeah. because they, you know they've done a a fantastic fantastic yeah. job. And I, you know, there's lots of you know there are lots of places online that do like kind of rolling resistance measurements mm. and. The Eagles don't come out on top sure. in that, but I think rolling resistance is always a it's, it's a nice benchmark measure of seeing how fast the tire is in a straight line. But I always think the big advantages always come when you're relying on that tire for doing something other than just keeping you upright. Mm-hmm. So it's that it's how do they feel through a corner? Or how do they feel through successive corners? Yeah, and you know it's how it you know it's how they grip on perfect surfaces, but how they grip on less than perfect surfaces because that's what we're riding on most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the, the Goodyear is one of those times I've just been able to just be fully confident in yeah you know so yeah. comfort from a tire improves the way a bike feels the you know the lightness and the suppleness also means speed but there's nothing better than confidence of just grip brilliant you know so, yeah, yeah and again it's not an expensive thing to do to your bike yeah but it will literally change everything about the bike you sure. know a bike that you'll go well this is fine you'll go i love this yeah all down to the rubber on it. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Okay, Warren. Well, um, yeah, thank you very much for running through all those. It's quite a lot to digest in there, but I think really you probably saved some people quite a lot of money potentially with that. Um, Basically go and buy some nice tyres and some uh, good bar tape. Nice tyres, good bar tape, and and don't skimp on your inner tubes. There you go. And keep your bike clean. And keep your bike clean, yeah. Those are the the cheapest ones. (laughs) Well, um, well, thank you very much for listening to the White Radar podcast. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with an ep- another episode. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Warren. Thanks, um, Tom. Always good to um, ramble on. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.